The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. The editor at Sons of Liberty Media.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on. Friday morning, and if you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and also sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you want to catch the video portion of the show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com, and we are broadcasting live right there on the right side of the page. You can also check out that live video feed on my Twitter account, FPPTim. Our Periscope account is Setting Brush Fires, as well as our Twitch account. Facebook is Bradley Dean SOL. YouTube channel is B Dean Sons of Liberty. Today we're, uh, well, we're going to do some tomorrow, but today is basically the last day into tomorrow sometime <laughs> that we're going to be uh, broadcasting on the Setting Brush Fires YouTube. Hopefully tomorrow, by the time Bradley's on in the afternoon, we'll be back to B Dean Sons of Liberty on the YouTube. Before it's news.com, we're on the front page right there. Uh, we appreciate Michael Roach giving us that spot there. And also DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. And if you want to follow our articles, obviously SonsOfLibertyMedia.com is there. But if you're on other social media outlets like Spreely, Gab, MeWe, Minds, and USA.life, you can head over to Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media on those outlets. And you can find us there. And by the way, somebody mentioned Parlor. I'm on Parlor as Tim Brown, but um, <clears throat> I. We'll look to probably try to set up a Sons of Liberty. I'm posting to a bunch of things anyway, but I'll try to set up one for Sons of Liberty on Parlor over the weekend or next week or something like that when, when I can get to it. All right, so we've got uh, the, the topic for today is I've got a veteran on the line. Now, he's from the U.K., and he aids veterans there with a PTSD and all sorts of things like that and tries to help them. And he's seeking not only to aid and unite veterans in his country, but across the earth here against the tyranny of COVID. Now, when we uh, broadcast the other week, uh, Saturday, not the other week, Saturday, it's been a week now, um, Mick spoke at the event there at Trafalgar Square. And I think we caught the end of his <clears throat> speech there because I was told by our camera girl that uh, they were done and over with, and yet there was still a, a speech going on. So Mick is joining us this morning from the UK. We had a little problem with the video. I don't know why that is, but we got his picture up so you can see what he looks like if you're watching via um, 
the video portion, if you're listening by radio, it won't make any difference. Mick comes from a military background, having served 30 years and retiring as a captain in the Elite Army Physical Training Corps in 2004. And while serving, he was responsible for the development and implementation of many special programs that are still used by the British military today. Mick's true passion is helping people to get to the next level in any area of performance that they find challenging, getting rid of blocks, and achieving personal excellence in doing so. His inspiring energy has led many people through their journey of personal change, making transition less stressful and more attainable. Having coached international athletes, trained and mentored numerous international coaches in a variety of sports and adventurous disciplines, Mick's approach is one of creating meaningful relationships where people are empowered to learn and grow in such a way that they never have experienced before. He is uh, the creator of Spectrum Performance, and transition coaching techniques, and this approach has achieved some amazing results with elite athletes as well as more complex groups of people suffering from stress-related problems. Is currently supporting some large companies and sports teams involved in behavioral change, <clears throat> helping people understand and develop personal resilience that converts into a consistent winning team performance is at the core of this model for change. It outlines the importance of performance linked to lifestyle and assists in creating more resilient people and therefore teams. And uh, Mick, we want to welcome you to the Sons of Liberty, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, sure. And it's a pleasure to sort of bridge the gap uh, over the pond, as we say, right? That, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And our, our mutual friend, Kate Shimarani, <clears throat> uh, put us together and you responded very quickly. We set this up in a matter of a couple of days. And again, we had a little bit of problems, folks. So I apologize for that. For the video, was That's we okay. don't know we don't know what's going on there. But if you will, just before I, I let you speak here, Mick, about what's going on and, and what you're involved in, I want to let people know Kate Shimarani, uh, you know, our own health and wellness expert. She shows up every Saturday. I don't know if she's going to be here tomorrow or not, um, but uh, she was released from jail yesterday, late yesterday, and <clears throat> the. What they're looking to do is make an example out of her. It basically was a PR arrest, and they're claiming that she was inciting people, which she wasn't. Everybody watched the live stream. Maybe that's why they want to kill the live stream, but you can go to Setting Brush Fires. It's still up there. They took it off of Sons of Liberty YouTube, but the, the live stream of almost four hours is right there on Setting Brush Fires. You can clearly see she is calling for peace. She is not calling for violence. The veterans were there. Uh, Mick helped to organize some of that. And they they simply stood against the tyranny of the you know street beaters, if you will, the cops that who were there, who were following their orders to try to put down what was a peaceful assembly among the people. And uh, so she has been released there, but these are pretty serious charges they're looking to bring Nick uh, against her. But uh, her barrister seems very confident that she's going to be able to overcome that. But uh, it looks like that she's got a target on her back uh, from this this government over there, Boris Johnson, and uh, failing to uphold the law, much like they're failing to uphold the law in Australia. We talked um, with a gentleman down there who was organizing a protest, <clears throat> and they were shutting them down for wanting to organize a peaceful protest against the tyranny, uh, the COVID tyranny, the lies and the tyranny that come from there. And so you're a part of doing that too. But before we get into that particular aspect of our conversation this morning, I, I gave you that introduction, but can you kind of break that down sort of in your own words as to 
what it is that you're involved in now, especially uh, dealing with some of your veterans uh, there in the country of Britain that we talked about the other day? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in reality, and it's interesting that you put my photograph up, you know, when my drill instructor first met me, he said that I've got the kind of face only a mother could love. <laughs> so he made me feel very much well at home, well at home before we started. Of course, I've, I've got a military background, and, and my, within my cat badge, there were only, when I joined, about 330 of us throughout the whole of the Army. And our job, essentially, was to train people mentally and physically to go into combat. Um, towards the end of my career, I was more involved in the, in the analytics of, of all of this and, and, and was asked, you know, why are we losing so many people? That was something that I, I sort of pondered when I was a, a master at arms in one of the regiments that I was with. I then did my own research and I went out there and found out what was what was going on. What I found was that we had a great behavioral training model. So we knew how to train behaviors in, in soldiers. Uh, and, and, and we did that really well because if you train behaviors, you know, if you teach someone how to shave, wash uh, and prepare themselves in the field, we might call that field admin. And so you didn't really have to have a great conversation about it if you needed to put it right. So we had a great behavioural model. We also had a great thinking model. Um, but but where, we, where we floundered was with the emotional model. And what really came to me, Tim, was the fact that we didn't really have any way of supporting someone emotionally through the journey from being a civilian to a, to a soldier. And then even within this, even when you became a soldier, you know, I thought that basic training was quite tough until I then decided to... to, to going to the, to the core that I went into. And actually, it was a walk in the park, comparably speaking. But, but really, what I then found was that when we send people on ops and, and they come back from ops, or when people start to leave the military, all of this requires a transition. And there was never any emotional system that helped somebody um, change their mindset so that they could make that transition. I was then training in lots of military rooms and people were presenting things like nightmares, flashbacks. They were presenting anxiety. They were presenting emotionally related issues. So I went back to basics as an analyst and I started to design the system that, that basically didn't, didn't need, it was, it was uncomplicated. It was about how you learn to do a problem um, and, and how we might be able to get you to sort of consider this problem from a different perspective, learn from it, and therefore change your relationship to it. Now, that's a real oversimplification of something that took a long time to develop. And then, you know, as any analyst would do, um, I then decided, well, I could actually just be a legend in my, own, in my own naffy break, you know. So what I then did was I thought, well, I'll run some research alongside this. So I put some instruments alongside it, measuring PTSD, measuring depression, measuring all of the comorbidities that went with this. We then ran our first pilot at the Royal Marine Commando Training Centre, Limpston, in 2006 for six SF uh, veterans, essentially, and a couple of police. And, and, and what we found was we were getting some amazing results. Now, we were mega excited about this, so we, we presented our findings and we looked to create an affiliation with some of the organisations in the UK, such as Combat Stress, Help for Heroes, Warrior Programme. But what we then found was that in reality, um, these, these people were quite happy with the system that they got. They didn't necessarily want to consider anything outside of their experience. They became gatekeepers, essentially. And, and I did find that, that even on some of the meetings that we had, 
they were very resistant to other ideas. And and so I, I then carried on doing, doing what I did, and I, I ran lots of change programs which were designed to, to, to deal with PTSD and, and similar related issues. And from that, we gathered quite a bit of research. And so the story developed from there, really, Tim. We now, we now find ourselves in a place where really what we're offering is a great system for helping people. And, you know, I came over to Jacksonville, um, I think around about 2011, and uh, we worked with a group of American vets as well. And since then, I've worked with a few American vets individually. Um, but, of course, you know, the one thing that we found was that results speak for themselves. So, so whatever we've done has always been results-focused. Um, bearing in mind that there's always a human interaction, which I find to be lacking in some of the existing models like CBT, EMDR, IEMT, psychoanalysis, and of course, you know, medication. Um, I, I personally don't like medication. I think that your body is is, is a, a laboratory in its own right. That when it, when it's full of emotion, can't create the chemicals that make it happy. Yes, uh, and I know that Kate talks on similar levels. So that's where we find ourselves now, Tim. We find ourselves in a space where we're now starting to really offer veterans um, a ray of hope in so much that PTSD is not for life if you know how to change it. And it can be changed. Amen. I, I believe it can be changed as well. And, you know, the Bible tells us that we're to be, renew- we're be-, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, so there is a deal where we deal with minds. You and I talked uh, a great length the other day about yeah. <clears throat> veterans that I've spoken to from World War II to Korea to Vietnam, to Iraq, and all of this. And all of these guys have different experiences, and it affects them differently. There are some guys who, once they're traumatized by war, once they go over there, because it's, you and I talked about, it's not like, you know, us sitting here in the comfort of our living room or a movie theater and watching a war story unfold. It's happening around you. And I I spoke to you about um, my interaction with um, Chris Peranto, Tonto, from um, the Benghazi fiasco that went over there and listening to him talk there were times where he would just it was almost like as he was talking about it he just zoned out and stopped talking the room went silent and it was like he was right back in there and he just kind of shook his head and go i i really he goes i really miss that which is kind of it's kind of an odd thing because all of the veterans i talk about talk about i don't i don't really want to go back to that i wouldn't want any of our vet uh, you know our people serving in military to be sent off into these unconstitutional wars or wars for big corporations and all of these kinds of things. They wouldn't want that. They said, if you no. want to help the vets, you try to stay out of war. And, uh, and so you're seeing the after effects of that with the fellow veterans there in the UK. And then, as you said, here in the US, and we talked about a particular organization that uh, we had reported on when I was with Freedom Outpost, one our reporter there at just months, just a couple of months after she reported that, she was found dead in a um, uh, Las Vegas hotel room. She was in her late twenties, and wow. <clears throat> it, it was incredible because she was exposing how this particular um, veterans association was taking its money and basically, you know, paying off big yeah. six figures to the the guys in charge, building up the building, but you know taking care of a few vets, especially if they were high profile, but uh, a lot of vets not getting what they needed. And we talked a little bit about that as well. And you've seen that, but you're out. to You're out. Absolutely. You know, when we came across, we, we saw that organization in particular, Tim, we had a visit and, and, you know, it was a real savvy vet 
that that we was with. He he was tuned in. He was he was an alcoholic, and and he you know and and the thing that really amazed me was that particular organisation. They filtered out a lot of the Vietnam vets. Now I can't think of anything more confusing that you go up, you put your ass in, in in a place that that you really don't want to be. You're fighting a cause that you're not quite sure is is a truth. Uh, and then you see all of your mates or some of your mates uh, die around you. Then you come back and you're vilified by your own people. I can't think of anything more confusing or traumatizing than that in itself, Tim. And then, in fact, as you go later down the line, you're now filtered out of programs that have the potential to help you. But that something similar has happened to the vets in the UK, because if you're if you're taking drugs or, or you're or you're self-medicating with alcohol, Tim, you know you cannot get into some of the mainstream programs here. Yeah, which is which is part of the problem because if you're in that situation and you're actually seeking real help uh, rather than the bottle or uh, drugs or any of that other, you're actually seeking real help. Then if these organizations say they're there to help you. Okay, I'm sorry, you have a problem. Um, we're not going to deal with that. That just that doesn't make any sense at all. It, and and our and a lot of our veterans, we're finding out a lot of our veterans are becoming homeless. Um, yeah. Which then they're they're treated as though they're common criminals. They're arrested or moved away or thrown in jail, whatever the case may be. Um, some of them are living in tents. We had this issue where many of them were living a stone's throw away in yeah. Arizona from Senator John McCain when he was alive. Songbird, you know, the, the yeah. treasonous senator that he was. So <clears throat> we had them doing that. We've had uh, vets who have uh, called uh, what is, I guess it's like the suicide prevention line. They're struggling with with things in their mind, and they send the cops out, and in some cases, the cops end up shooting them because these guys are are thinking of killing themselves, but therein happens these kinds of issues. When you you get into the stories of a lot of the vets, you know, we we have a similar thing here in so much that um, suicide, we can't even find out how many people kill, uh, how many people kill themselves or commit suicide here because the government refused to, to record that. And, and of course, some of these vets, if I think about the thousands of vets that I've now sat with, the story is that if they don't get a result from our program, they're, they're, they're killing themselves anyway. And a lot of them will say that happily. Now, some of them also commit suicide by proxy. So what some of them will do is that intentionally go out so that they can be shot because they're that lost, Tim. Yeah, I, I and this is part of uh, the issue for the Sons of Liberty. Um, people see the kind of line that we have there of the Sons of Liberty and the dog tags, and you know, it's uh, we we quote from First John that our love should be that of action. Uh, lo- Bradley ends the show loving you by what we do, not necessarily by what we say. And you're one of those guys that say, I don't, I don't, I don't just love you, brother. I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to try to help you, whatever the situation is. And that's the heart of the Sons of Liberty is to come alongside people and help them. This is why I tell people, even in the chat, be kind to those who come in who may disagree with us because we want to win them. We don't want to turn them away, even though some of them are turned away because the the propaganda has just been too much. I mean, it really has. My mother had a basic philosophy that I followed, and she said one one, one minute's worth of, of personal help is worth an hour's worth of sympathy. Yes. And so it's about what we do, not what we say we're going to do. You know, one of the things that we found the mainstream organisations couldn't deal with was we were getting results. I, I was present at a meeting at Port Cullis House, which is right next to the 
to, to the House of the Parliament. And in that room, we had all of the top people involved in mental health. Now, of course, being a veteran, veterans are probably some of the most difficult people to deal with because they generally will ask the questions that other people will avoid. Yes. And they don't mind getting a knee in the knee in the groin every now and again if they do so, because if we don't ask the question now and we make the mistake, then we, we pay the price, right? Yep. And, 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 and you know, in that room with, with a friend of mine called Simon Weston, who's a famous Falklands veteran, um, you know, he, we spoke to David Cameron. And, and in the room itself, they, they admitted that what they were doing with veterans was not working because they were all part of this system that was uh, approved by the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. And for me, that has always been pretty much a self-serving system in so much. And I, I, I call it... It's like a self-licking lollipop. It doesn't really pay attention to what's out there that's working. And what they do is they label some of these approaches as alternative approaches. Well, you know, as Simon Weston said in that room, alternative approaches are like alternative comedy. You know, if, if it's funny, it's funny. If it works, it works. What stops you from engaging with it? And so veterans have been let down, especially British veterans have been let down in numerous ways. We only need to look at, the chemicals that were used in the Gulf War and Gulf War syndrome. Mm. We only need to look at the Good Friday Agreement and, and, and we only need to look at the veterans that are now being hounded, you know, for, for, for what are considered to be problems that, that, that came from that. We only need, need then to consider the Iraq investigations, £82 million spent on, on, on 3,500 allegations. You know, where could that £82 million have really gone had someone with the common sense you know in my world it's really quite simple if you keep doing the same thing and expect something different to happen you're probably not going to achieve much in life and that literally is what that system has done to i agree i agree okay let me let me let me get to uh, some of the other stuff that's going on because it's clear that you, you have a heart for veterans and yeah. um, and you want to help them but you also spread that out beyond veterans obviously um if we were to uh, bring up your your website uh, that you're affiliated with, which is whenenminds.co.uk. Uh, yeah. People can check out more about what you guys do there, uh, and not only helping veterans, but I mean, you're in the corporate world, you're uh, in other areas that you're helping people. Um, you know, set uh, get a get a good mindset there. You're involved in those things, but you're also you joined up with Kate and um, several other people well-known people, uh, scientists and doctors and nurses and other people there at Trafalgar Square on the 19th, Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And you have this this idea of mobilizing and uniting not only your own countrymen there, the veterans there, uh, but also veterans across the earth. I mean, you're, you're looking to unite them against this tyranny that's, that's festering in pretty much every country uh, across across the earth. I mean, you're you're trying to to unite them with that. Tell people a little bit about what got you into that and and how you're how you're organizing some of that and helping some of your veterans there. Well, well, Tim. For me, the bottom line is that you know veterans have a common they have a common experience and a shared adversity. You don't you know when you meet another veteran, it's an un, it is an unconscious connection beyond all connections because we've all gone through very similar processes. I'm bound to say that the British veterans are the best veterans in the world because I'm highly biased, right? But, you know, when I came across to America and met some of the veterans over there, we talked the same language, Tim, because we've all had similar experiences that not an awful lot of people have had or shared the same adversity. 
you know, an adversity binds you together, you know, like like nothing else. Um, and, and, you know, we know that when we go into combat, we, we don't necessarily fight for our country. We fight for the man to the right and the man to the left uh, and, and everyone that's extended from that line, uh, however, it, however it sort of pans out. So, so from my perspective, I was really worried about how COVID uh, and this, this dim, diminution of, of civil liberty is impacting on communities as a whole because we don't discriminate. As far as I'm concerned, I have helped more women that have been raped and traumatised and uh, brutalised and we've helped young people. So, so we, we open our gates to anyone that, that needs help. Um, uh, but, but my main focus at the moment is on, on veterans purely because, you know, veterans are a force to be reckoned with. They won't shy away from a situation, but equally, they'll also be peaceful. We've had enough war, Tim. We don't need any more war. War never resolves Amen. anything. War, war breeds war. It's as simple as that. And let's face it, we've done the bidding of other people for a long time. I don't see too many politicians, children, in war situations. So, so from my perspective, I'm saying that we are a collective voice. There are about 4 million veterans in the UK. And if we were all to stand up and say enough is enough, because let's face it, we didn't fight to lose our civil liberties. We actually fought to increase them. Amen. We fought. We fought for democracy. And not only that, do you know, the simple part of my process, Tim, right? When I sit with a veteran, you know, the quality of a veteran's life is determined by the intimate relationship they have with themselves. You know, and, 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 and a lot of the questions that I ask uncover all the things that have been lost, if you like, like happiness and love. And, and all, all I'm simply helping them get back to is their own loving connection to themselves. Because when they start to see and feel that, the people around it, the people around them can also see it, feel it, and relax around them. You know, great relationships are created by a number of things, and one of them is safety. How many of our vets feel safe? And, and this COVID-19 uh, situation has created a lack of safety, and, and, and it's been ramped up, Tim. Why would, we, why would we not want to be safe? You know, so, so safety is one of the fundamental elements of any relationship. And then when we're safe, we can be honest. If we can be honest, then we can get creative. Amen. Yep. And, you know, when we sit with a veteran, that's, that's what we look to create. Um, and it respects the fact that a veteran really has their own perspective. So, you know, having had that journey and understanding that that's our driving force, that, that you know, we've got to get back to a level of inner peace, inner love, inner calmness. And I've been in some high security prisons, Tim, and worked in those prisons, and if, the, if you do not believe in anything that is greater than yourself, those are the guys that struggle the most. Yep. So, you know, I, I, am, I, am I a Christian? Yes, I am a Christian. Am I a practicing Christian? Well, if I treat people the way that I would like to be treated and, and I consider myself to be that type of person, if that means I'm a Christian, then, then fine. I, I'm, I'm totally okay with that because, for me, we've had enough violence. Um and so getting veterans to, to, to stand up as a force for good and a force for, for peace, for me, is the only way you can come out of one of these situ situations. Because the, the, the alternative to that is complete chaos. You know, we should never be lo losing connections with police people. I can't imagine a democracy without a police force. You know, our police force in the UK, if you look at the definition of a policeman and you look at what a policeman was trained to do, 
they were trained to be autonomous. They were trained so that they could spot when someone was breaking the law and that they could apply a model that, that, that dealt with that in a balanced way. When we were at Trafalgar on Saturday, bearing in mind that I'm a personal safety and public order trainer and, and I'm home office trained in that respect, I didn't see any threat or law breaking as part of the demonstration. Mm. I saw brutality coming from a police force. Yes. Now, I couldn't work out where they were applying the model that they're supposed to follow, which is about de-escalation and not escalation. And it was more of a PR thing than it was anything from my perspective. So why veterans? Because there's millions of us. We are, we are fearless. We've been tested before. We can love as much as we can fight. And we find a balance in that. For me, a great warrior is, is, is a warrior that will stand up in a space of love and defend those that cannot defend themselves. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, you were making mention of, of the issue of Christianity. You know, the, the, a Christian is someone who believes that Jesus is Lord, that he gave himself uh, for sinners, that he died in the place of sinners in order to save them, just to, to clarify. And then as a result of that... Yeah, and, and, <laughs> yeah, and as a, as a result of that, you know, he transforms men to where we, we do want to love God. We do want to love our fellow man. And uh, so the law... You know, you were you were talking about democracy here. A lot of people use that term. You know, our founders rejected democracy, but they established a republic because it wasn't mob rule. It was here's what the law is. And if I'm not mistaken, that's really how Britain is set up too. It's it's the law that's supposed to rule people, not a mob rule, but the law. And and so veterans, you know, uh, Titus has made mention that you know our countries are really fighting in some way for either corporations or the United Nations. And I tend to agree with that. And I like how you put it because we talked about this. Almost every, especially Vietnam veterans that I've talked to who would even tell me their story. Many of them don't want to talk about it, but they'll tell me their story. They say, we weren't fighting for a country. We were fighting for each other to try to get each other back home. And that really struck me because here were guys that realized that in the midst of what they were doing. This isn't about freedom. This is about yeah. me making sure I get home and the guys who are next to me get home. And that's how they saw him. And I think that's why uh, there's such a great um, title there, Band of Brothers. Uh, and you were making mention of the things that, that veterans go through, you know, similarly, though they might come from different countries, that there's a there's a bond that's there, like you said, that's unsaid. When you meet a veteran, you know that veteran uh, if you're another veteran, you know that veteran has went through very similar things than you to you, uh, some more than others. But there's there's a camaraderie there. There's a brotherhood, as it were. Now, when you're when you're helping some of these guys there at Trafalgar Square, there was a lot of veterans who were gathered there. Uh, Kate was kind of joking. She said, "I'm kind of." She said, "I'm honored that uh, you know the veterans have sort of made me their face." Um, you know, to to stand up and and to do this, and then they're coming and supporting her. What were you what were you doing there as far as helping the veterans with what was going on? Because as we were doing live broadcasts, I would see Kate say, okay, we're, we're here peaceful. The cops are moving in. Turn and face them. She didn't say strike them. She didn't say be violent. In fact, she said the yeah. exact opposite of that. And a lot of that front line was not just the citizens command. It was, a lot of it was the veterans who were there. Can you Can you enlighten the people as to what was going on at the time? I mean, I wasn't really involved in that element of it, to, to be honest, Tim. Uh, I was there mainly as a speaker. That was my sort of inaugural moment, really, um, because Kate had already agreed with other with, with her other agencies what, what role they were going to apply. 
And we also had some guys from the football fraternity that offered to lend a hand. So, so what did they provide, really? The veterans just provided a very strong line of passivity from, from my perspective. There was never any suggestion. And, and, I, and I can tell you now, Tim, right, I would never, ever, ever lead a group of people into a space where we were going to lose a person um, and it was because of what we'd organised. You know, I would never be party to anything like that because you now become responsible for the safety of the people that you're leading into that space. And if you expect or anticipate violence, I simply wouldn't go there, Tim. Yes. You know, because, you know, you learn this much as a veteran. The more you fight, the more fight is created. Why would you want to create that? And I understand that at some point, you know, we have to make a show, you know, a show of strength and all of these great shouts, but it just simply doesn't work in that way. Just, you know, for me, war creates confusion. And, and from that, you know, it's no surprise to me that, that, that even in, in Trafalgar, that the police literally tried to disrupt and tried to attack and break up the, 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 the uh, rally. And it was actually an educational rally as it happens, because you act, you, 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 if you look at the, the level of speaker that was on there, you know, there was there's some significant scientists. And, and, you know, there are people now, academics and scientists and virologists and immunologists that are all stepping forwards saying that what is currently happening does not make any sense in terms of a strategy. Now, I don't know where this is going, but if, if Saturday is, is an example of where it's going, and if we look at the fact that now Kate has been arrested, then I can only join the dots and say, well, this is where I believe it's going. If, if, we're exa- if we are exacting that kind of censorship and that kind of reaction to something, then for me, that's not democratic. You know, when we lose the right... To, to, to gather peacefully and we lose the right to speak peacefully, we've lost our most two basic fundamental rights Amen. as a democracy. Well, yeah, and I think that's the uh, I think that's that's why people are recognizing what's going on. There are still some people who want to fight and they want to say, oh, if you guys cared about people, you'd wear the mask. If you guys cared about people, you'd just stay in your home all day. You know, and all of this kind of stuff. Well, what kind of life is that in the first place? And two, um, you know, I've said over and over and over, there are a couple of things here. It's not just the right to speak. Uh, we had here in uh, Doug Wilson's church in Moscow, Idaho, in the States. I just put this out yesterday. People can go to sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can see it. They were arresting Christians for standing in an open uh, parking lot of City Hall and singing hymns. They were arresting them. They didn't have masks on and stuff. And it is a tyranny. It's an encroaching tyranny. And if the people do not push back against it, and, uh, you know, we talked about when when the police in this, they're the guy, it's not Donald Trump, it's not some congressman or a senator or your mayor or governor who's going to come to your door or come arrest you. It's going to be the guy on the street. And Absolutely. If, if we and don't, see, when, yeah, go ahead. This is the biggest challenge, Tim, because, you know, I've been involved in the behavioral conditioning of people. So I can recognize behavioral conditioning when it happens. But what happens is the governments are very clever because what they do is they get people to connect with the intention and the intention makes you blind. You know, when somebody starts to tell you something that it's for your safety, people naturally want to feel safe. Yes. So what they do is they connect to the intention and the government are pretty, pretty good at putting out propaganda that, that basically suggests that this is the intention of what they're doing. 
No, you see, so if the, if the intention is to keep you safe, all you need to do now is create a narrative, and that's what the government did. Now, what they also did was, so, so, so then the next step is to censor anything that goes against the narrative, and that's what we've seen on, on YouTube, Facebook, and, and you know, Google, and on, on, on other platforms. Now, the next thing to do is to remove your identity. And if, if we actually cover your face up, which is the system, the mechanism you use to communicate with people, you can't even hear somebody's true voice from behind the mask, Tim, because their voice changes. Yep. So you're even filtering out what you're used to. This is not designed to create connection. It's designed to do the opposite. And by the way, if we now start to punish or reward you, then guess what? We create conformity. So, you know, in, in, you go to any space where, where, where people are being punished, conformity is one of the key things. You know, go to prisons. You can see it, behavioural conformity. And if you behave well, we'll put you on the incentive scheme. And depending on how well you behave, we will incentivize you accordingly. That's a mechanism for conformity. Now, if we shame you, we're just reinforcing conformity. And if we punish the, the group that are being good because of the group that are being bad, we create even more segregation. Mm. And let's just spread some fear and let's use emotional blackwell, like you're going to kill your grandma if you go home when you've got COVID. When in reality, if you look at the statistics, of, if you look at the rate of deaths at this moment in time, and you even ask one of the politicians to explain the R factor, they, 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 they can't even articulate that. And <laughs> well, it, hey, you know, Mick, you guys have a, a prime minister who doesn't even know how to brush his hair, man. I mean, what's he doing out there telling people, you know, what they can and can't do as far as how far apart they should be, if they should wear a mask, if they should do all this stuff? You got a guy who can't even brush his hair. We have we have politicians who don't even know the, the, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, to the Bill of Rights in our Constitution. Yeah. They don't know the Ten Commandments, yet they claim to be Christian. So we have all of this kind of stuff, and you hit on something that one of our forefathers said, and that was, you know, the people who are willing to give up their liberty for security or safety deserve neither. And so as far as I'm concerned, security and safety is sort of an illusion. We try to bring it about, but we really have no control over that. You know, if God wants to take his hand off of people, an individual or a nation, he can do that. And guess what? There's nowhere you can go to to be safe or secure. But if he is the one who protects you, and this is what we state on the Sons of Liberty, Psalm 91, that if we hide ourselves in him, he protects us from even things like the perilous pestilence. That's what Psalm 91 tells us. And so when this stuff comes to to us as Christians, we also have a religious liberty. I, I even using the term religious per se. We have a liberty in Christ to tell the government, wait a minute, this is not something you're supposed to be involved in, and our God protects us, and so therefore you can just ig- ignore coming after me. Now they can still be tyrants and do what they're going to do, but yeah. uh, but it takes the people knowing their rights and standing up for their rights against the tyrant. That's the only way. And I, this is why I think the 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 the, the um, gatherings there at Trafalgar Square. I think the ones that we've seen here in the states, they've been yeah. great to see the people come out and say, "We're not going to take it." Cue the twisted sister music. <laughs> at this I, point, absolutely. And you see, for me, that, that that is that is one of the key things, Tim. We need we need boots on the ground. We need numbers. And, and veterans, once they understand the situation, I mean, I wonder how many veterans are aware that of some of the situations that have gone on with the, you know, with the British Army, and, and you know, and, and it being signed across to the EU. You know, interestingly enough, when you look at what was signed up to 
um, you know, the cooperative financial mechanism. This was after Brexit, by the way, and under the tenure of, of Theresa May. So, so, you know, we have indirectly, well, well actually not, we, we've done it directly. We've signed up to the cooperative final, financial mechanism. We've signed up to the EU Defence Technological Industrial Base, the EU Defence Agency, the military planning and, conduct and, and conduct capability, the new Athena mechanism. We signed up to the EU Defence Fund and Procurement Plans, the coordination of annual review on defence, the common and foreign policy for security, military planning and conduct capability, and EU battle groups. So what does that mean? So Ollie Robbins, Alistair Brockbank, and Angus Langley, who are all um, civil servants, have done this in the face of 17.4 million people voting to leave the EU. But for all intents and purposes, what this literally does is it, it tells us that the British Army has the potential not to exist and not to, in the not-too-distant future because of its allegiance to an EU um, situation. Now, bear in mind, we never had the EU or had the plans to be part of an EU army because we were part of NATO. And NATO was always the, the, um, the panacea for any, any challenges that we had because that tied us to the States as well. So, you know, it begs a few questions, Tim, and, and, and some of these things are, are being put on underneath the radar. And COVID-19 has been a, a perfect um, example of smoke and mirrors while other things are changing because people's eyes are not on the ball at the moment. The Brexit ball is, doesn't, doesn't even feature in, in the mainstream media anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys need that. I mean, you need a decentralization. There's almost a there's a part of me I've stated over and over. I would have been with the anti-federalist founding fathers uh, because I know that when you start centralizing that power, it inevitably because of the nature of man, it inevitably becomes a beast to the people. It just inevitably does. It's happened all throughout history. No matter how good the intentions are, that's what happens. And you guys need that. Let me ask you something. It, it may be it's on topic with the COVID stuff, but We've had Mark Steele on. I'm sure you've talked with him over there. He was at the yeah. event the other day. Yeah. And and Mark has talked about this rollout of 5G. I spoke with him a little bit about it yesterday because we had the story that came out about the heat rays that are being that were thought about being used against protesters to quote unquote protect the White House. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's millimeter waves at 95 gigahertz, I think it was, which is a little higher than what the Chinese military was using at 60 gigahertz. And there's, they've, they've told us, oh, this stuff can't permeate your skin and all. And yet within that documentation, it permeates the skin to create this burning sensation. Now, we've heard a lot of talk about China. And then we see the rollout of 5G, even while every that's considered, I guess, an essential thing there in the UK as well as in the States. And then we're, hear, we're hearing about the Chinese and stuff. And Kate has made mention that um, she's seen there at the at the um, uh, the palace that the guys what do they call those guys who have the red and black uniforms with the big bushy hat? Yeah, yeah. So the what, what you mean the guards or the beef eaters? Yeah, the, that, that that's the guys. Um, yeah, the guards there. They got those big hats and they stand. They don't blink. They don't look at you or anything. Yeah, yeah, the guards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She yeah. says a lot of those guys are not there, and that she's seen some of these guys. I don't know how to present them. Gurkhas. That's the cigar that I. The, yeah. the, the, they look like Asian guys who are there, and mm. there's a large Chinese um, uh, faction of people there, as well as there is in the states. Uh, they 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 migrate together. Many of them are military age and and such, and so. There's been some talk that both in our country and the UK, there is an issue to where 
um, there's going to be, for lack of a better term, I don't, I don't even know. Invasion is a good word. There, many of them are already there. They're waiting to be activated, as it will, because of Chinese interests both in the UK and the United States, and some of the pushback on certain things that are going on. Yeah. What do you know about that? And do you see that as part of what COVID is doing? Is getting our eye off the ball, and all these other things are taking place right under our noses. Well, I think there's certainly things that are taking place right under our noses. I don't know anything about stuff that Kate talked about, and, and I will never um, speak on anything that I, that I haven't personally experienced or, or believe in myself. Um, and, and, you know, I know that Kate has her own uh, sources of information, as, as does Mark Steele, and I'm not a specialist, specialist in either of those areas. What I can do, though, is I can follow language, and I'm very, very good you know, having when I think about my background, I'm I, I'm I'm a, a linguist on on a number of levels and can spot language, and I can I can tell you whether someone's lying. I used to train the police and the customs officers to spot people who are telling lies, um, and, and you know, so that they could catch smugglers who were smuggling drugs into the country. Uh, so I've got a good background in that. And and the thing that really worried me more than anything, Tim, was the speech that Boris Johnson gave to the EU, where I quote, he said. The digital age is not in our control. You may keep secrets from friends, children, parents, your doctor or your personal trainer, but it takes real effort to conceal your thoughts from Google and and there is nowhere to hide. Well, I say, well, why? Why would somebody use 16 minutes of a speech in the UN to identify and highlight some of these things? Like, I quote, smart cities will pollulate with sensors from every lamppost, but this technology can also be used to keep Every citizen under 24-hour surveillance. Why would you say that when you are part of a democracy? A future Alexa will pretend to take orders, but will be watching you in, in, in future. Voice monitoring technology will be in every room with smart meters transcribing your every habit. Why? Why would you say this? A cloud of data that lowers above us ever more oppressively above the human race, a giant dark thundercloud waiting to burst with no control over the precipitation now these are really lovely fancy words and something that you know boris johnson does remind me of is one of these little public school boys that needs a good kick up the backside and i've met lots of them i used to work at the royal military academy sandhurst and we had to shape them into great leaders and you know we managed to do that we've got some superb leaders in the british army And, and you know and i met lots of those and helped shape a lot of those people but here you've got, uh, you know, a cabinet of people. And if I quote Martin Luther King, you know, he said that there will, he, he dreams of a time when, when people will not be judged by the colour of the skin, but, but actually by the quality of their character. And that's not word for word, but that's essentially is it. Well, when I look at the people that are making decisions um, that, that are sat in Downing Street, I question, actually, what have they ever done individually to develop their characters? I wonder how many of those people have been in situations like veterans have been in where they've actually had to use their character to get out of the situation, where they've met themselves emotionally at the level of fear, where they've had to force through certain things, and some of them didn't even volunteer for it. You know, when I think of the draft over in America, it makes no difference whether I agree with it or not. But, you know, we have a simple saying in the UK that one volunteer is worth 10 pressed men. So I can't imagine being forced into a space that I didn't volunteer to go into and, and be expected to give of my life and, and, and serve my country in that way. And, and when Boris Johnson starts to say some of these things, I start to worry because I, I then sort of ask, well, 
what would make this guy who runs our country stand up at an EU conference, a UN conference rather, and say these things? You know, he calls it digital authoritarianism. And he says it's not the stuff of dystopian fantasy. It is an emerging reality. It is capable of both good and bad. And at this moment in time, Tim, as someone that measures behavior, I can't see much good going on. You know, they can say what they like. They can say, oh, it's, it's, in, it's in, your, in the interest of your safety. That's just literally about, about an intention that everyone wants to feel. And by the way, that's been used in other, in other theatres, in other spaces, by other people that led, a, that led an awful lot of people to their own deaths. Because when you connect with the intention of something, Tim, you become blind to the behaviour. Yeah, well, that's true. <clears throat> Some of the things you're talking about, uh, I had Michael Rechtenwald on the show. His book is called Google Archipelago and uh, the Digital Google, Gulag and the Simulation of Freedom. And that, it was a fascinating talk because we had already been uh, reporting on some of the things like social credit scores, um, some of the censorship that was going on. I mean, what we're seeing, I know it's happening in the in the UK, even though I'm not there, because Google has become, you know, worldwide. Uh, most people don't even still don't even know that Google was a startup from our own CIA. It was unconstitutionally funded with about $15 million from CIA front group, and the Q people will like this, called NQTEL. And yeah. they, they, they did it as a startup. A lot of that, um, that, that CIA front group, the guy who was over that, uh, dispersing all that money unconstitutionally, your money, America, uh, to start up places like Google that are censoring you, uh, through Google and YouTube and the other alphabet stuff that they got going on, that guy went and I think he gave twelve or fifteen million dollars to Facebook in their startup. So all of these things have they they have this fascist kind of view because even within these organizations, they have offices for the CIA, they have them for the FBI, and this yeah. is how they have access to the to your information on those platforms. And they're using yeah. it against the people. So what what is the conclusion that you come to, Mick, when uh, when Boris Johnson says this and you say, why would he say that? What's the conclusion that you come to? Well, he, he tells you, you know, when you when you um, what a lot of people do when they hear a, when they hear a, a, um, someone's dialogue is they often compare it to their own world and then and then change it to fit what they want to believe it fits. I'm not like that as a linguist. I literally listen to what someone says, and I take that literally. Because in my world, um, you have to take that literally. Because if you don't do that, you then don't deal with the problem because you imagine things into it. Does that make sense? It does. So, there, but there are times, too. Uh, let, me, let me give you, for instance, uh, yeah, some people will quote uh, Charles Finney. He was a preacher in the, in the United States more than 100 years ago. And he'll talk about atonement, and he'll talk about law, and he'll talk about all these kinds of things. But he yeah. has a different definition of atonement when he speaks of it. He does not believe that Jesus really died for anybody. And, yeah. uh, and so when you hear it, if you're a person that actually believes in the biblical view of the atonement, you'll put that definition in there. But he means something different. So I, are you saying something like that? Or are you saying, I'm just going to take his words at face value regardless of what he does or or how are you how are you no, presenting because, that because you see what you do what you learn in, in the world that i've been in is is you learn to check whether someone is congruent or not 
So when someone starts to tell you that, that we're entering the dig, a digital authoritarianism, you, you, you then, you know, I say, well, okay, so that's what he said. Now, what are we actually experiencing behaviorally? Because what a lot of people do is they, they listen to somebody's language and they, get, and they get pulled in by the language, but they don't actually watch, watch what is physically going on. That's what I'm talking because, about. Yep. Yeah, what is physically going on is the reality. Yes. What you want it to be or what you imagine it to be is your imagination. To right. Be. So if I want to know whether someone's reliable, I say to them, should we meet at four o'clock? And they, if they say yes and they don't meet me, then there's a good chance they might not be reliable. Right. Does that make sense? No, nope, there's like there 50 reasons why that person didn't turn up, and that's open to whatever imagination you want to put into it. But the fact is, they didn't turn up. Yeah. Well, I, I no, think this is this is something that we've said over and over. You know, James chapter two tells us that uh, you know the the person who says they have faith. Uh, James says, "You show me your faith by your deeds. Don't tell me absolutely. what you believe unless you do it." And he says, "I'll show you my faith." by my deeds. If I believe God has said this, and this is a good thing, and this is loving my neighbor and loving God, then I'm going to do what God says. If I say, I believe that, but I don't do it, then I'm a liar. I mean, there's just no way around that. Uh, Mick, we're coming up against the end of the show here. Uh, And uh, one of the things I want to do is give you a chance. Tell people, if they're interested in what you're doing and, and getting in touch with you, tell people where they can find out more about you. Well, if they want to find out more, I mean, my site is, is pr- quite a, a general site in so much that we do help pretty much anyone. Um, but, but our specialism is actually all of our research comes from within the veteran communities um, at home and abroad. So if you really want to make contact, then you, there, there's an email address on the site, mick at winningminds.co.uk, um, which I know that you can put out there. If you want to make contact, please feel free to do so. And, you know, one of the things that we said to to combat stress was, let us come and show you what we do, because we'll walk our talk and we'll show you that what we do will get greater results than what you currently do. They never actually took that up as an offer, um, because it is about what you do and not what you say you're going to do, uh, and evidencing it so that, you know, none of us are legends in our own mind. You know, we've worked with lots of people now, and we've got a, a very, very a superb uh, process for helping people to recover and regain their lives from PTSD. Uh, and we're more than happy to share that with people, Tim. Amen. Well, Mick, we really appreciate you. A lot of people in the chat room appreciate you coming on and uh, feel like uh, the things that we talked about are very timely and yeah. appreciate your, even though, you know, you're across the pond as it was, I know there's a yeah. lot of people who are appreciate, appreciative of your service and also what you're doing right now. Uh, we're going to be maybe with Kate tomorrow morning. I don't know. Uh, we're going to see what we can do at 8 a.m. on Saturday right here. Same bat time, same bat channel. Catch us then. Until then, see ya. Take care, Tim. You too. <laughs>